this is me being comfortable with myself and not everybody uh, allows themselves to be comfortable like that because a lot of people will say like, oh, I can't do that because people will call me a workaholic or I can't do that because, you know, I need to spend more time doing this or this and not giving themselves permission. So it was a bit of a game changer for me when I gave myself permission to be myself and to run at the frequency that I am born to run at. And, and for me, that is, why can't I take this opportunity right now to do all the things I want to do? Like, why can't I? Who's stopping me? Why why is there a, a rule out there saying that I only can do a few things of my life or I have to be a certain somebody? Welcome to Routines and Ruts, the podcast sharing conversations about the daily rhythms and inevitable stumbles in our creative lives. I'm your host, Madeline Dorr, a freelance writer and person who is very much fumbling their way through the creative process too. I run an interview project called Extraordinary Routines, where I also conduct life experiments and write about how to find gentler approaches to both our time and our creativity. This podcast delves further into the blocks that we encounter along the way, and my generous guests talk about the days that they find flow and the days that go completely off track. They open up about things like resilience and rejection, successes and setbacks, and how extraordinary lessons can be found amongst it all. It's a question we're asking, being asked, asking ourselves. The answer might be unclear. Maybe, like me, you don't really know. Are we doing enough or too much? Are we overreacting or underreacting? Are we okay or not okay? But just as I've found that there's no one way to be creative that suits us all, there is no one way to navigate a pandemic. Even though I don't have the answers, I find a lot of comfort in knowing that there are really varied approaches to everything. You might need to lean into routine and keep busy during this time, be it out of necessity for your pocket or for your mental health. You may need to step away and rest and reset, placing productivity or creativity to the background, either to focus on the people around you, what you need, or surviving. You may also need to lean into the rut to the ebb, to feel and thrash around and be in the confusion to see what it's teaching you. Personally, I'm oscillating between all three all the time. And from what I've heard from you and from conversations with friends, I think many of us are. Be it leaning into the routine or investigating the rut or allowing for the rest, it's accessible to people in very different ways. And it looks different to everyone because it always has been. People have always had varying responsibilities, varying stresses, varying privileges, varying challenges, varying income or support, varying comfort or ways to navigate setbacks or circumstances, varying drive and desire, varying states of mental and physical health. And I think that this crisis amplifies that. But even through all the confusion, there is an opportunity to learn. As I've talked about before, for me, the best thing for being confused or sad or unsure is to actually learn something. I learn so much from the people I interview as I really hope that you do too. And in difficult times, I find myself wanting to take in more, to observe more, to feel more connected and less alone in what ails us. For example, when I was heartbroken a few years ago, I put out an open survey to hear how friends and readers and strangers on the internet navigated the shift to our days that heartbreak can often bring. I learned a lot. I healed a lot. And many people continue to turn to the collection of advice, feelings and lessons I compiled in several articles since putting out that survey. I wanted to do a similar thing. I wanted to experiment and invite you in so that we can all learn from each other right now. In a special episode of this very podcast, I'll be sharing your reflections and challenges, your routines or ruts in these extraordinary times. This open call survey is an attempt to both illuminate how it feels to navigate creativity in uncertain times and also uncover some gentle suggestions. I want to hear how your days are changing, where you might be stuck, what's helping and what's not. If you would like to share... You can find a link in the show notes to leave both written and audio recorded messages that will be played in the podcast. We're navigating a collective rut. And while we all have varying degrees of change to our daily lives and different challenges, hopefully we can share what comforts and what helps and maybe feel a little less alone and maybe more resilient. For this week's guest, resilience is what has helped him navigate the highest of the highs 
and the lowest of the lows, many times over. Jai Long is a photographer, educator, and creative entrepreneur. Most recently, he's been at the helm of three successful businesses, including Free the Bird, Wedding Photography, Heartbreak Booth, and various workshops for creatives navigating business, which is complemented by his incredible podcast, Make Your Break. But it wasn't always this smooth sailing. In this conversation, Jai shares the story behind his success, confidence, and his drive, and the times he's been forced to press the reset button or simply chosen to let go. We talk about being impactful rather than busy, how we are all wired differently and that is okay, not putting your spark out for other people, the complicated relationship between money and the idea of designing your life, failure, fear, and so, so much more. So to begin, because this podcast is about honoring the ebb and flow and how our daily lives are constantly in flux, here's Jai Long and how he is today. Yeah. Times are a little bit strange right now, as we all know. Things are pretty strange when you go for a walk in the morning and you're taking your dog and everyone's out in the park, but there's nothing else happening. There's no coffee shops open near me and there's there's nothing actually open near me. So yeah, it's weird times, to be honest, really weird times. It is very weird times. For you personally, how are you kind of dealing with the shift, the change that's happening? I think the shift is interesting. It's actually something that I've kind of thought was going to come for a long time. With business, I'm so conscious of setting myself up so I'm not in any kind of risk. And even though I am really high, I'm a a high risk guy and I like to, you know, fly on the edge of my seat and make things work, you know, bootstrap things and make things work with little to no money. I never go into debt. I never have credit cards. I really look after myself and scale myself on the basis of how much can I actually afford and how can I live in my means? So even right now, um, you know, I make good money. Well, I did make good money in my businesses and, you know, I feel like I'm pretty financially stable and financially safe, but I don't own a car and I don't live in a fancy house. And, you know, we don't have a TV, we don't have nice furniture because they're not the things that bring me happiness anyway. And if I can't actually just go in and afford to buy a car in cash, for me, it's just not something that's on my cards. It's something I have to like work towards, save towards, and then reward myself with the hard work that I put in. And I think now it's paying off now that obviously we're in hard times and my income overnight came to a standstill. And um, I know that I can live for the next 12 months, you know, without any income coming in and I, and I should be fine. But yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to navigate around for sure. And I think the thing that breaks my heart the most is... I'm not breaking my own heart over myself. It's it's looking around seeing the creative industry like it they're getting shook and especially musicians, especially photographers, especially anyone in events. It's not something that you could foresee really. Like you could foresee a recession, yes, but you can't foresee something like this and you can't foresee that your income's going to stop next week and the whole world is going to stop next week. Like that's just it's a surprise, I guess. Yeah. As you've sort of acknowledged you're in this incredible position because you have built your businesses to such a successful level, but you haven't always had it comfortable. This was something that you worked for. And I wondered if maybe you could take us back to that beginning in businesses or even your schooling to talk a little bit about how you built that, because I think there could maybe be some comfort in not having it all to begin with. Absolutely. It's, yeah, life's a funny thing, isn't it? It goes full circle. And I've, I've always said in the next 10 years, I'm, I will be a millionaire, but I'm also going to go bankrupt. And people think that's crazy, but it's just a cycle. Like things go around in circles and I've been, you know, I've I've been to the lowest of lows and I've been to the highest of highs. And, you know, it's, it's an amazing adventure, I guess. For myself, I didn't really do much schooling. Um, I was, I was actually homeless when we were, when we were really young. So like the earliest memories that I can remember, you know, we were homeless and then we got on a waiting list for a housing commission house and we got relocated to North and New South Wales. And the first time I went to school would have been in year four or grade four. And we lived in a tent for a while and then we finally moved into a, a home, I think when I was about 11 years old. So it was the first actual house and it was it was in the roughest neighborhood and the roughest street, you know, in the whole area, but it was a home and I loved it. And there was a lot of domestic violence. There was a lot of drugs. There was, you know, my parents never worked, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to skip over that stuff because it's, it's obviously made me who I am today, but I don't really dwell on my past too much because I'm, I'm so focused on like where I want to go to not from where I've been. 
but I had to, I do have to acknowledge the path that's brought me here and I guess what's given me the the hunger to want to do better and want to do more and and the confidence as well to be honest because when you do grow up on the streets when you when you are a fighter you have this confidence that gets instilled into you because it's kind of like you know it's like fight or flight and then if you're a fighter then you're there and you stand your ground and when times get tough it's where you it's where you flourish because you've been there before you know exactly what it's like and you're not scared of it people are scared of what they don't know so that's why people get scared of being bankrupt or people be scared of losing everything but I have lost it all and I have had nothing so it's not something that scares me you know if I lose it all I'm like well I can rebuild and start again I've got I've already got new ideas new things I can as long as I've got my health and I've got my my fitness and my mental health as well I can keep going so yeah, I guess it was humble beginnings. Of when I was 20 years old, I started my first business and it was a cafe and it was a mega structure. This cafe could sit 350 people. I had staff, um, you know, chef. I had baristas and the whole thing. And it was a big undertaking because I finished school when I was 15, 16 and I didn't have an education. I didn't know anything to do with business. I had no role models and it it started because I wanted to help my dad get a job. And at the time he was in rehab and it was the only thing, it's the only way that I could find employment for him was to become the employer. And so, yeah, I started a business and then just before we opened up, he passed away of a drug overdose and it hit the business hard. And I was open for 12 months to the day before I went bankrupt. And it was literally the best business degree I could ever have you know like learning to lose it all so quick someone actually told me the other day if you want to get successful learn to fail really quickly so that's out of the way and I actually believe in that like the quicker you learn how to deal with failure and the quicker that you do fail you get comfortable and then you free yourself for success and I think that's really a really important lesson it's a lesson I learned when I was 20 years old. So that's amazing, I think. I think that really speaks to where you are now as well. So I like to dive into that, not to sort of show that rags to riches story. I think that that mm-hmm. can be overplayed, but to show that it seems like it's intrinsic to you to to see opportunity or to even see money. And that can be so difficult for any creative or anyone, especially in circumstances that we're encountering now. And so I'm curious to hear you know, it was 12 months to the day and you closed up the cafe. Yeah. What did that feel like? Uh, it was incredible. You know, like imagine this, if, you, if you've got a business and it's failing and you're also grieving, you know, your dad that's passed away and you don't really have, you're not empowered with the knowledge of business. So you, everything, everything is new. Everything is, you know, unforeseen and it's uncharted territories. My relationship was breaking down. Uh, I was losing so much money that I started living in the cafe just to make, ends me I got a full-time job just to try and put the money into the till of the cafe to keep it running it, it felt like there was such a weight on my shoulders and I was holding everybody up and I didn't want to let anybody down I didn't want to let down my staff and it was so hard my actually my partner which is now my wife she was the one that said Jai enough's enough you're killing yourself this is it's not worth it like let's close up and I was in denial I said no I can make this work you know I'm not a failure I can do this stuff you know um, I felt like, you know, I, I felt like I was a failure, like growing up, like in a lot of senses, but I felt like this was my own thing and I was so proud of it. And this is not me like I'm, I want to be successful. And so when reality kicked in and, and I did fail and we closed the doors, it was seriously the most bizarre feeling. And we had an old, um, van that one of my friends gave me and we went and drove to the beach. We closed the door for the last time at the cafe and we went and drove to the beach and um, we had all our stuff in the car and we we're, were essentially homeless. And then we were sleeping in the car. And the next morning, so my, my girlfriend's next to me, Lilu, and I woke up and the sun's coming through and I was looking at her and I was just thinking like, you know, she she's laying there and she's still smiling and she's next to me. And I'm looking out at the horizon and the sun's rising and the, there's like, you know, air moving in through the car and it felt so beautiful. And it's it seriously like, it still brings brings me tears like right now because it's um I felt free I I felt like 
for the first time in my life, I was like, oh my God, like the weight's been lifted and I've failed, but I, I feel amazing. Mm. And I also got rid of any kind of fear that I had because I was like, if, if this is the lowest I can go, if this is it, bring it on world, you know, like <laughs> that, that day I was like, okay, we're sleeping in the car tonight and I went bankrupt yesterday, but now let's change. I want to change my life. Like I'm ready now. And, you know, I, I, I was so pumped, full of energy and um, I moved on with life. I just, I had a goal, I had a vision and I wanted to have a better life than what I had. And, and that was it. To this day, I, th- I would say it's one of the best, most liber- liberating days of my life. And one of the most life-changing, I guess, moments of my life as well. Mm, as you've just so beautifully put, you can so find those moments in the lowest of the low. And I loved um, a message that you just shared for creative entrepreneur friends. And you touched on this idea that no one actually cares about your success or your money. They care about you. I'm, I'm trying to look for little silver linings as we navigate this uncertainty. Yeah. And I can't speak for every creative, as you've said, so many people are in varying circumstances. But for myself, I have felt that weight off my shoulders in terms of with my projects, especially, it doesn't matter if people enjoy them or if they're successful or if they make money so much as am I doing them every day? Am I kind of in touch with the things that I want to be? You know, am I looking out at the sunrise? Absolutely. I think it's interesting. You know, we've had routines lately, especially for myself. I don't know. I can't speak for every creative entrepreneur, but I feel like this was happening. Uh, we're we're starting to go into a bit of a rat race and for myself like I was pushing 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 and I was starting to not enjoy just life around me because I was so focused on my projects so focused on my career so focused on so many things and all of a sudden like within you know a week all our work dried up within a week the whole world has stopped and people are even saying now like pollution's lifting birds are singing and everybody's starting to really enjoy each other. Like even if you do have to, you're not going to work, you're going to stay home with your wife or with your husband and you're going to learn something new about them and you're going to reconnect with people, even even your partner that you don't get to see every day. You're going to reconnect and learn new things. And I think as routines go, like this is a bit of a shakeup that I think many of us really need. And mm. it's like a big reset button. It's like, wait a second, like, no one actually does care. Like, you know, I'm so caught up in thinking like I need to be successful. I need to, you know, show up and do this stuff, but I don't actually, you know, people are still ringing me up saying like, Jai, like we care for you. We don't, we don't, no one's mentioning my business that just flopped. No one's mentioning anything else. It's just like, they want to know how I'm doing. And I think right now, like if anyone listening to this podcast, if you're going to get a message, a strong message from this podcast is really actually enjoy this moment it doesn't happen all the time it's it's never happened before in history and it's something to actually enjoy and and embrace as well Mm. I do like to say that there is the beauty is actually in the break um and so that's so well put I guess let's dive into the part the break part in terms of (laughs) your businesses that have just you know really been put on pause like there's things that are very much tied to an industry that has just been put on pause yeah. How are you navigating that part of it? It's, it's it's very difficult. My business is pretty well established. Um, I'm a wedding photographer. I've been running it for f- seven years. And uh, my my business is very successful and it's very well known all around Melbourne. And, um, you know, I get lots of work. And overnight, I didn't foresee it, but it literally just, that was it. It just shut down. We postponed about, oh, about $100,000 worth of work uh, within a week and then, I also lost a lot more than that as well from cancellations with my photo booth and DJ business, all the cancellations and people postponing there, people wanting refunds. I also have workshops and I had a workshop in New York City coming up in Los Angeles and then obviously people have paid in full and then me issuing just refunds. So I think overnight, yeah, I had about $100,000 just drain out of my account and then also for the foreseeable future, it's obviously really crippled me as well because I can no longer take on new work for the start of next season. I have to look after all my clients that I have now and I'm going to do my best and fight my hardest to make sure that my business is around so I can continue to look after those people that did book me, even though it's going to be running at a loss and even though it's, it's really hard for me right now. But yeah, I guess like the silver lining is like right now I get to do more podcast episodes. I get to work on projects that I love. All the projects that I really love, like my podcast and things like that, it doesn't make me any money. It just 
it just brings me joy. And I think the more stuff right now that I surround myself with the, the stuff that I love and the, and things that bring me joy, the better. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just, I'm just digging in and, and loving life. <laughs> There's time now for that kind of thing. But I, I would love to ask you, as someone who was able to take action on so many different projects and ideas, even when you were squeezed for time, how did mm-hmm. you how did you sort of take an idea and run with it previously? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, a lot of people actually ask me this. And I think, for instance, right now I've got three companies. Um, I run a, pod- a weekly podcast. I... Uh, I run live workshops. I do webinars. Um, I do so many things. You really do. Yeah. But the thing is, I didn't just start off one day just saying, I'm going to have three companies. I'm going to do everything. I built up my my resilience and tolerance to stress. So when you first start, like say if you're a photographer, you'll first start and then you book a client and then you, you have some sort of degree of stress because you're thinking, okay, what if things go wrong or what happens? Or I've got to make sure I have my gear and, and um, I've got to make sure I don't double book them and I've got time. And as time goes on, you book more work and more work and your resilience grows um, or your tolerance grows. And then it gets to a point when it's, it becomes easy and second nature and then when it gets to that point you can take on something else and then the same thing happens so it has been slow for me in that sense but it's become a time where I can juggle things and I'm also really good at letting go so like even even you know if my business does go bankrupt right now I'm so good at letting go that I'm just like well there it goes like that (laughs) that was a thing or you know seeing a hundred grand taken out of my bank account like you know some people that would absolutely crush them but for me, I was like, well, you know, was that even my money? I didn't physically see it was in the bank and now it's gone. It's a number, but, you know, whatever. We can we can keep moving and, and building. But I think it's, stress is the hardest thing. Like people don't want to put themselves under huge amounts of stress. And I, for some reason, if I have a tiny little bit of time, I keep putting myself under stress and more stress because I need to be really uncomfortable to be able to perform and, you know, the more uncomfortable I am, the more I put myself into a situation where I'm so far out of my comfort zone that I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to get through this week? Oh, my God, how is this going to actually work? And when I finally conquer it, then I say, well, you know what? I probably could do more. Let's do a workshop next week. Like, let's do this. Let's do that. And I keep building and building. Mm, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I don't recommend it um, that everyone should do it that way. This is like, this is me being comfortable with myself and not everybody uh, allows themselves to be comfortable like that because a lot of people will say like, oh, I can't do that because people will call me a workaholic or I can't do that because, you know, I need to spend more time doing this or this and not giving themselves permission. So it was a bit of a game changer for me when I gave myself permission to be myself and to run at the frequency that I am born to run at. And, and for me, that is why can't I take this opportunity right now to do all the things I want to do? Like, why can't I, who's stopping me? Why, why is there a a rule out there saying that I only can do a few things of my life or I have to be a certain somebody or, you know, I have to be a photographer. I can't be, you know, something else. And I don't like those rules. I want to, I just want to be loving everything that I do. And the second that I don't love one of my projects, I just let it go. It doesn't matter how much money it's making. It's, it's gone. So that's basically how it, how my projects run. I love that you're touching on this because it really, it speaks so much to how we are all wired so differently. And it's really about finding out how you are wired so you can honor that rather than trying to kind of see how somebody else is doing it and replicate that. And I love that we're kind of talking because I think we might be different sides of the coin because you have that sort of high energy, you know, putting yourself in that place of stress is when you do your best work. But for me, I need a lot of softness. I need a lot of space. I need to mull to kind of get my best ideas. Yeah. And both of us are doing interesting projects, I would say. So there's no right or wrong approach. It's actually just about honoring the one for you. So thank you. Because I think sometimes busyness can be shamed now, but neither should be shamed, neither the rest or the busyness. I think if you shift your mindset as well, um, and instead of being busy, because no one no one wants to be busy, like let's be honest, like no one wants to go to work and be busy. Like we all want to take the, the easy route. So we, instead of being busy, I'm always impactful. So everything that we do, like and my staff do, um, I tell my staff, if you're sitting there being busy, go out and go for a walk. I don't want you to be in my studio and be busy right now. I want you to make an impact. And if you're not doing that, like go and rest or go and take a day off and then come back when you're ready to make an impact. 
and we all work like that. So it means I, d- I don't do 12-hour days. I don't even do 10-hour days. I probably do six-hour days. And so people probably think I work like around the clock and I really don't. But I know what makes an impact and I'm optimizing that all the time. So my time is like really like accounted for. So I know what's happening and when I can fit things in and I'm really realistic with that as well. Just before we go on to um, sort of how you structure your days for that kind of approach to work, do you have advice for letting go to people? Because I think that it is an art. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a huge question. <laughs> I mean, I mean, letting go is like one of the one of the key secrets to any kind of success and also happiness. Mm. Um, it's it's so, I guess it's not undervalued, but it's just not talked about enough. If you can, if you can let go of, you know, so many things that have created your path um, or, or created like from your from your uh, beginnings to where you are now, there's so many things that have shaped you. And there's so many things that have shaped you in a negative way as well, which is like, you know, creating fear or, or creating limitations and things like that. And when you can let go of the fear and limitations, you absolutely become limitless. And it's just the same as imagine me right now and imagine losing $100,000 like to so many people. If you're hanging on and you're scared of losing money, if you're scared of the future and things are going to happen, then... I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. I'd be in the fetal position in the corner of a room and that's the reality of it. But when you let go, it becomes limitless and there's so many possibilities. I'm looking around right now and I'm like, oh my God, opportunity, opportunities everywhere. And I'm n- no decision I make is based on fear or of other people's expectations. It's only my own expectations. Mm. So I think, I don't know if it's like meditating or doing things like that, but I think really honing in on what you know makes yourself happy and don't change for anybody. Don't change for your partner. Don't change for your friends or your business partners or whoever it is. Like know deep down, like this is my truth. And I'm so ruthless with my truth, you know. Like if someone's not bringing me positivity, I just don't hang out with that person anymore. If I don't have time for whatever and and Lilu, my wife, she's always like, Jai, like sometimes you come across rude or mean and and I say, yeah, like maybe I do, but I know my truth and I know who needs my attention and where I need to be putting in my time. So, Did you have to experiment with that approach? Like have you got it wrong, do you think, ever? I get it wrong all the time and Lilu pulls me in and tells me like, yeah, that's all great, Jai, but you need to talk to your friends or you need to be nice to that person or something. Um, and it's it's not always easy. It's also a lot of the times, you know, I I have to – dull down my energy because I don't want to make people feel bad about themselves. And I know I I have that effect to people sometimes because if someone's hanging out with me, all I want to talk about is like, oh my God, this happened and I'm excited about this and I'm excited about that. But if they're not running at the same frequency, then all I'm doing is like, look at my life, look at what I'm doing. And I have to really rein it in and go like, oh no, you know, nothing's really happening. It's just it's just a thing. And then when I do get to that point, that's when I'm like, I really need to spend less time with that person because I hate like putting out my spark for anybody. But I, I'm also very conscious of like how I make people feel. I'm so conscious on that as well. Mm, that's a really lovely balance to be aware of. I know that you sort of mentioned when I asked you about sharing a potential creative rut. It was interesting your response was actually in, about how the loss of a person led to a creative rut. And maybe this ties into sort of finding people who do see your spark or you can share your spark with, as you put it. I think you you need to have someone in your corner that, that has your best interests at heart and believes in you and, and is like a cheerleader or someone that really can push you. And if you don't have that person, you need to be that person for yourself, for sure. And also, if you don't have that person, you need to be that person for somebody else as well. But I think for myself, I really thrive of people's energy. So I love hanging out with people that are also high frequency movers that, you know, they are on a platform where they're just, everything's happening and they are excited and they have energy and I guess everything's like limitless. Mm -hmm. And I did, I I had one of those friends and he was the guy that when I was an electrician, I was working as an electrician and I had a job and I was at the top of my job and everything and I was making a lot of money at the time. But I just wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled creatively. I wasn't fulfilled because I already hit my peak kind of thing. And he was the guy that said, like, you know, stuff the money. Like, imagine all the other things you could do. And every decision that I made, my best friend at the time, he 
he would go and he would support me and the stuff he would say would just like, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. You know, if you believe in me, I should definitely believe in myself because, you know, that just makes sense. Um, and I also believed in his, everything he did as well. So his name is Dwight and he grew up in a little town called Dalesford in Victoria and didn't have a lot of money or anything. He's very humble family, but he moved to Melbourne and he wanted to race motorbikes and he wanted to race one day in the Isle of Man. That was his goal. And the Isle of Man to race is over in Europe, it's just off the coast of England. And it's the biggest, most dangerous, most prestigious race in the world. So if he told anybody that dream, here's a guy coming from the country. He rode a bike that was from the 80s. Um, he couldn't win any races because his bike was so old. Everything was going against him. But when you sat down and talked to him, he, he would say like, one day I'm going to race. I'm going to race the world titles. I'm going to, I'm going to be at the Isle of Man. So to, to race the world titles, you have to race all around Europe. You have to have a bike that's worth about $250,000. To race in the actual race, I think it's about $250,000 to enter. And it seems like an impossible dream. It just does not seem possible. Mm. But when you listen to this guy talk, it was so possible that it was, at, it was literally happening next week. It was like, oh, my God, I can't wait for you to race. Like, and he was preparing himself. He was exercising for it. He was going for runs. He was racing every weekend. He was preparing himself for the world titles. And then as fate would have it, and he's the type of guy that's open to everything, um, his uncle passed away over in Europe. So he went over and um, he went to his uncle's funeral. And at this funeral, he met this guy, a uh, very much older guy. And he was telling him one day he's going to race in the Isle of Man. He's going to do all these things. It turns out this guy happened to be a millionaire and he loves Isle of Man. So when my friend Dwight came back, he's like, oh, I had some beers with some friends and it was amazing. And this guy rang him up and my friend told me about it. He's like, oh, some guy reckons he's going to send me a bike, but I don't believe it. And I was at his house like maybe two months later and a, and a truck showed up and his custom-made bike from Switzerland gets oh anchored off <laughs> the truck that just got shipped over. And he is mind-blown. He's in tears. Like, what? Like, I actually don't believe this. And now that he's got a new bike, he raced around Australia and he absolutely broke every record on every racetrack because all of a sudden he had a fast bike that could actually do it. Mm. And then that guy flew him to Europe and he flew all around Europe. And within 12 months... He was racing the Isle of Man world titles and it was like the most mind-blowing thing. It was like, wow, like if you have that that much dedication, your routine is all structured around that success. Like there's no doubt in my mind that like it could happen and it did happen for him. I mean, I don't want to bring down the story, but the second he raced one year and then the second year he actually passed away on the racetrack racing um, and that was a massive impact you know, for his family that were there, his girlfriend was there, um, his mum and dad flew over there, which is really hard, you know, for me to get the news here. But at the same time, like, oh my God, he died doing what he loved and he lived life like to the absolute fullest. And it gives me so much inspiration and so much hope. I'm like, man, he, he died at 27, but he lived 27 years. Most of us, most of us don't even live, you know, mm. like it's how incredible is that? So yeah, I still have a smile on my face, but it also sent me into a creative rut because, you know, the 12 months after that it was the first time I've ever been through depression. The first time that I've lost someone close to me that I actually really grieved. I think when my dad passed away and when family members have passed away, they've been a little bit distant. It's been a um, different situation, I guess, because this was my best friend that I, you know, told everything, you know, shared everything with um, and he was just gone the next day. It felt like no one was in my corner anymore and I couldn't continue, I guess. Yeah. That must, that is such a loss to go through. And, and obviously now you, it's amazing how your friend Dwight can be so inspiring and will inspire you for your whole life. But that, mm. that immediate, that, that grief period would be just so rattling. So how did you build yourself back up? And like, I guess, take Dwight's attitude on into your into your core without him. One of the things that's really important that I, I really like to focus on is um, mindfulness and really understanding like how I feel and allowing myself to feel that. So I knew for, for a good 12 months there, I was like going through depression and I just knew that I wanted to feel it because I've never felt it before. And I felt like in some sense, I felt like I deserved it as well because, you know, I've had so much other stuff that I didn't process in my life. And I was like, this is the time for me to stop and think. Um, but I was going downhill pretty quick. I was, 
I was like sitting down in the shower for like an hour, you know, every afternoon after work and I'd just be sitting there thinking and contemplating and my um, wife would come in and she's like, Jaya, you need to like, you need, you need to change things up. Like maybe you should go to the gym or maybe you should go for a run or do something. And um, I think I was probably in that stage for a little bit longer than I should have been, but I was, I was really trying to feel it and I was trying to, I guess just give myself that healing process that it needed without trying to skip past it like I have done in the, in the past. Mm. And then once I did feel like, yeah, okay, now I feel like I've grieved and, I, and I'm feeling good, then I just realized like I don't really have any role models. I don't know anyone that's done the stuff that I've done. Um, and I don't really have anyone really close to me that's a role, that's that's a support like that anymore. So I need to be that person. Mm. So... I just had to double down on myself and I had to really believe in myself. And I, I was at that point, I was like, fuck it. I was like, this is my life. I'm not holding myself back. Um, and I need to be my biggest cheerleader and I need to believe in the stuff so much that other people are going to believe in me. And from that energy, it's, there's, that's going to be, it. it's going to be limitless. Mm. So, yeah. That's, yeah, I can just kind of see that transformation from the, sitting in the shower to like kind of that upright like I'm ready like it's just this evolution that so many people you know it's so difficult to navigate but can be so enriching so I'm wondering how do you now transpose that energy into your day-to-day like how do you ground yourself in routine it might be interesting to hear because you you know just last week you were incredibly busy with your wedding photography and your workshops and so on so I don't know if you want to do a bit of a before and after kind of look at your routine and I guess what's changed since absolutely um okay so routine for me is really important one thing that I find really difficult is I'm actually a destination wedding photographer so I shoot a lot of weddings overseas and a lot of times it really froze my routine. But when I'm here and I'm in Melbourne, routine is so important because it keeps me grounded and it keeps things, I guess, like for my mental health, it keeps things like so easy as well. So I get up at 6 a.m. every single morning. I don't set an alarm because I'm not an alarm type of person. I'm like, if I want to sleep in, I will, but I never do. I'm just... I'm creative in the morning. I'm so creative. So my wife's opposite. She'll be up at 2 a.m., you know, working away where I have to go to bed early. I need that rest. (laughs) That's always interesting if you've got an early bird and a night owl couple. Oh, yeah. It's so interesting because in the morning, I want to talk about everything. I've got all the ideas. I want to wake her up and tell her all the ideas. And, you know, she doesn't want to hear anything until 11 a.m. So she'll just push me away. And so we can talk for, from about like 11 to maybe 2 p.m. And then when we get to about 3 p.m., I'm done. I think sometimes you've got to be honest with yourself and know when you're creative. So after 3 o'clock, I try not to do any podcast episodes because I'm, I lose all my creativity and I start going into just work mode and just like how to get through something. But in the morning, I'm, I'm ready and I'm like I could write a book and I could do a podcast episode and I can write a blog post and I can do all that stuff as long as it's before 3 p.m. It's good to know these <laughs> patterns in yourself. So you'll wake up naturally and you're ready to go. I'm ready, I'm ready to go. So the first thing I do, um, one thing is I don't have any days off ever um, because I'm a wedding photographer. Like weekends are busy shooting weddings. So every single day has something a little bit different, but there's no days off. So for myself to have my mental health, I need to have time to myself. And so I wake up at 6am, which is perfect. No one else is awake. And I'll walk to my coffee store with my dog and I get a coffee and then I put in a podcast and I walk to the park and I just walk around the park, usually until the podcast episode is finished, but I usually do it for about an hour or I, or I sit on a park bench and just watching the sunrise. And for me, that little bit of time, I get to learn or listen to a new perspective and I get to, you know, breathe fresh air and get to play with my dog and I know like no one can disturb me from like 6 a.m to like 7 30 like there's nothing that happens Mm. and I think that's really important because after that after listening to you know maybe Madeline one of your podcast episodes or something like that (laughs) I I come into the studio and I'm I've got a a new perspective and I'm completely energized I'm thinking like okay I'm ready to go like what are we doing today and so when I get into the studio the first thing I do is I use Asana and that's an app or that that's a program to schedule your day and schedule your team's day as well. So 
We use Asana. It's uh, a great platform. It's kind of like Monday.com or any of those. But I go in there and I just check what's on for my day. And I make sure like my whole week is basically scheduled. So it'll be 9 a.m. There's a podcast interview. Um, 9.30, I will have to work for two hours doing some editing. And then at 11 o'clock, you know, something else is happening. So I usually get all my work done from 9 to about 3 o'clock. And then the last two hours, I usually just like kick it around the studio and really waste time. I love that. <laughs> we always need that faffing point. With Just going back to your Asana, when are you doing that schedule? Are you doing that yourself or is part of your team kind of working on that? Yeah. So um, to-do lists, I do them in the mornings and I usually, especially Monday morning, I sort of schedule out a whole week. I have a project manager that works for me as well, full time. And so she works on a few different projects. So She's really good at also delegating work around and making sure everybody's happy and I'm not overloading everybody because <laughs> if it was up to me, I had to get her because if it was up to me, I want everything done yesterday because I, for some reason, expect everybody can work as hard as I can and it's not realistic at all. Like I'll schedule a whole bunch of work in for one day for one person and she'll go in there and split it across the whole week kind of thing and make sure that <laughs> make sure that every everybody's happy. <laughs> That's very helpful. Yeah, it is really helpful. And I think for myself, like writing lists is a massive thing. So when I'm going for a walk, even though it's my own time, I get so many ideas then and I'm getting so creative that that's the time that I will quickly get out my notes on my phone and I'll write some ideas. It'll be like, oh, I should do a little IGTV episode uh, this week and give, give people a little bit of hope because I know for myself, like I would love to see something like that. And I'll write that down. And when I get in, uh, my content creator will walk in. I'm like, hey, man. So today, things have changed. We're making a video. And he'll be, oh, okay. And we get straight into that. But then I also schedule things out. So he needs to do the editing the next day and, you know, so on and so forth. Okay. So you can kind of change depending on what idea is really coming to the fore. How do you know when to, when your kind of task list or to-do list is too full? Like, do you car park ideas or what, how do you determine I guess it comes back to that idea of letting go, but just on a day-to-day basis with ideas. Oh, that's such a hard question. I have so many ideas and I want to do them all and we don't have the manpower to get them all done. Um, so there, there's definitely ideas that get shut down by the team as well and they say, that's, that's a terrible idea, let's not do that. And then that's fine as well because um, I can be very ambitious and I want to I want to take over the world, but I, I also realise that like not everything is possible straight away. Um, it reminds me of my favorite quote actually is David Cards. I don't focus on the plan to take over the world. Just focus on the next step in front of you. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what I need to do. I need to focus on those little steps, but sometimes I get too far ahead. Um, I think having a backlog of ideas is a really good idea. So I, you know, so for instance, like if I'm thinking like, Oh, I need to write a blog post. I have a, a I have a notes page up that's like for blog posts or for podcast episodes, just ideas. And it's just like pages and pages and pages. And when I find the time, if I'm sitting in a plane and I'm flying to LA to shoot a wedding or something, I'll sit down and that's when I'll start writing those blog posts. And I've always got something to do. I don't have to remember those ideas. As long as I write them down and store them somewhere, then I know that I'll come back to them and I'll, I'll see them with new light if it's actually a good idea or if I should just pass it on. So yeah, some things you want to get onto straight away though. So this week I've had a bit of an idea from my podcast where I want to interview people from all different parts of the world and just see what it looks like locally for them. So something like that means I have to put everything else on stop and then my, the person that does my um, podcast uh, producing, she has to get straight onto that. So we've got it out this week kind of thing. So it's more of a reaction kind of thing opposed to like a full plan. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's a great approach. And it's also really illuminating to know that there are lots of different people helping you with these ideas. I think people could look from the outside sometimes at a, at a business and think that because it's under someone's name, it's it's someone doing all the moving mm. parts, but it's good to know you've got a producer or um, a content person or a project manager. Absolutely. And something that you've built up to as well. Yeah. I also really like sharing that as well because I think, you know, a lot of the times I think I look up to a lot of people, just say, for instance, like Tony Robbins, you like, you look up to someone like that and it's his name and you're like, man, that guy does a lot of stuff, but you also don't realize he probably has hundreds, if not thousands of employees that also help him with all the stuff that he does. And we can like forget sometimes that like, 
you know, people, people never show the behind the scenes and show the team and how things actually work. They're always just putting themselves forward. So I really like to show my team off and go like, Hey, you know, I obviously don't do this all by myself. I'm not holding all the cameras. I'm not doing everything like check out the team. These guys work in sync together and it creates the dream and it's incredible. I love that. It's like there's that saying, like, everybody has the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. But it's like, well, you're forgetting that Beyonce has a whole team around her. Yeah. So you said that you kind of work through to three. I'm wondering if you, like, do you break for lunch or you just kind of keep going through so that you can maximize your creative focus? Yeah, I'm not very good at eating because I do find it to be a waste of time. Um, it's one of my downfalls. And my wife says like, Jai, you look so angry when you're eating. Cause I'm like, I'm trying to get it done as quick as I can. So I can get back to what I was doing. Um, I do enjoy meals. Like I, I enjoy dinner, um, when we're having dinner and it's like, I'm not working, but I don't enjoy like taking the time to stop what I was doing to have that break, but I do do it. And then I just get straight back into it. Um, I think I know I'm so productive between nine and three that I usually try not to allow anything distract me. I try and make sure I get everything I need done by then. I actually watch the clock and I'm like, if I'm writing an article and it's two o'clock, I've got one hour to get this done. And then when I get it done, then I allow myself for the last two hours just to like get, get a little bit creative and get a little bit weird. Usually I walk around the studio and distract everyone else and I start writing out like things that we could do that's never going to happen or, you know, just play a little bit, I guess, give myself that time. And so now I'm guessing there's a few changes to your day at the moment with social distancing and isolation. Yeah. How are you finding that with a team? Yeah, it's very difficult because, you know, I don't want to lay off anybody. Um, I had to lay off my full-time designer last week and that was really difficult for me. I still have my content creator coming into work and we, uh, we've got like the meter rule. So everybody's in here kind of working, but we're all apart as well. So that's really good. Um, I want to keep them working for as long as possible. And so we are working around the clock, just thinking up ideas on how we can make that happen because I know the answer's there. I just haven't found the answer. Um, Cause I don't want to just say like, Oh no, that's, that's it. And I didn't, I didn't even try for my team. Like I know there's something there that's going to get us through these harder times and I'm willing to put in the time and the effort and the work to make that happen as well. Mm. Just looking back on your trajectory, you've been a cafe owner, electrician, wedding photographer, now creative educator, yeah. and also you're, you're writing a lot as well, especially during these times and while you're looking for this opportunity. And I, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be in that position where they really have to pivot their entire career, be it, you know, from a whole, from A to a completely different B. Mm -hmm. In your experience, what advice could you share on, on that act? Like how do you accumulate so many different skills and change? Yeah, you definitely have to get rid of your ego because you have to know that even if you're at the top of your game, even if I was the best electrician, I'm, I become the worst wedding photographer and then I become the best wedding photographer, I'm going to become the worst educator because you're starting at the bottom again. So letting go of that ego and just knowing that like, you've, you've got to be, you've always got to have that child mentality. Like you were always learning. And I think that comes down to the ego as well. For myself, like I, I just know that everything I'm doing, I'm learning. I learn off the staff that I hire. They, I hire them because they know more than me. And that's why, you know, that's why it works. I make sure that I'm not the smartest in the room in anything that I do. And I'm always surrounding myself with people that are higher um, achievers or they're, they're more intelligent or whatever it is, um, just so I can learn from them and get that energy as well. But on the other side of things is if you have had a business before, all businesses basically run the same. It's all the same principles. So yes, like you're learning a new skill set in terms of like the craft that you're doing, but business and projects, they all run the same. You still need to get out of the sauna. You still need to sort out your day. And it's just like there's new questions and there's new answers to find. I mean, and that's all that you're doing is you're just trying to work out like new ways to um, solve those problems. And I guess one last thing is the incredible thing about not having an education in the industry, but coming in and learning something, um, you have a new perspective. You don't do things like everybody else and you're able to steal from other industries and bring it into, you know, the industry that you're doing now. So it really means you, be, you become really innovative and unstoppable. 
even when I started my photo booth business, for instance, I think I had like three photo booth companies contact me saying like, I don't know how you came up with those ideas, but also we're going out of business now because you've just taken over everything. And they blamed me a little bit for, you know, them failing. But the thing was, they were failing anyway. I looked at their business. They weren't innovating. And you need to always be innovating because if you're not innovating, someone's going to out-innovate you. And when that happens, you'll become redundant. So it's really important to, to understand those fundamentals of business um, and how you can innovate and, and grow your business, scale your business as well. Mm. Oh, they're such great points. I'm curious about your particular opinion on the notion of talent because my opinion would be that you'd still have to be kind of good at photography or have a natural talent to be able to be as successful as you've mm. been with it. So are you either just this incredible polymath or is talent a little bit overplayed? I think talent's definitely overplayed. You could, I mean, here's a good example. Like have a look at a musician, someone like maybe Angus Stone and Angus Stone from Angus and Julia Stone. Like he plays a song like Big, Big Jet Plane and that song is just really basic three chords, the most basic, you know, song, most basic chords, um, most basic lyrics. But then you get these amazing classically trained musicians at weddings every weekend and they're covering that song that that guy made. And it doesn't come down to them like not being as good as Angus Stone. They're actually probably so much better when it comes down to their skills. But someone like Angus Stone is like he's released himself and he's free to put music out there that is that basic, but it connects with people. It connects on like a whole nother level. And I think having... Have, like no one's born with natural skills. I, I actually don't believe that. Like everyone that I know that's successful in the creative industry, musicians, illustrators, everyone, the only reason why they're so successful is because they're so resilient and they just keep going. Like if you listen to their first, you know, their first gigs or look at their first illustrations or see their first photos, like they weren't any better than anybody else's, but they'll just keep showing up and they're so hungry for it that they'll do whatever it takes. They'll ride their bike in the rain. They will... They will take a pay cut. They will, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. But resilience will get you there um, more so than anything else. I definitely wasn't, when I started my photography business, um, I didn't know how to shoot my camera out of automatic mode. I, I had no background in photography. I quit my job as an electrician and I bought a camera and then I was like, I'm starting a photography business. And I, I was terrible. I was terrible at photography, but I was so driven that, it didn't matter if I was terrible. I wasn't going to allow that to hold me back. I was like, well, that doesn't matter because I'm going to be a wedding photographer and these are the things that I'm going to do. And because I was so resilient, you know, not listening to people that are hating my work and not listening to any outside influences, just knowing that tomorrow I'm going to do better than today. Then with that drive, you've become unstoppable, I guess. Yes. Oh, I love that. For me, actually, um, I choose a word every year and I, I change my computer laptop screen to that word just as a reminder. And this year it's trust. And I think it's the same sort of thing. It's There's this combination of resilience, but it's embedded in this idea that you, you trust yourself rather than outside influences or whatever it might be. Mm, I love that. Um, and that can be incredibly powerful. So I'd love to keep returning to your day because I think it's it's very fascinating your your relationship with routine and how you've prioritized like the work but also the moments of joy. So you sort of mentioned that you build in this kind of faffing time in the afternoon where you distract everyone. Yeah. <laughs> what happens kind of after that? Um, <laughs> after that, it just sort of turns into a really big lull and I just literally get inside and uh, read books. That's pretty much it. Sometimes I watch Netflix, but um, yeah, I've just been reading a lot of books lately and I try to learn as much as I can whenever I can. Like, I just feel like I missed out on my education. I didn't get to go to college or um, get any kind of degree. And I didn't really do much of high school. I couldn't really read and write that well in my early 20s. So I had to really learn how to do that. And um, I think those things, like it's as a personal development, like I love that I can keep growing like that. And I use that little bit of energy that I have left to, to do that stuff. I also go to bed really early. So I think I'm usually in bed by like 8, 8.30. And um, I'm a really good sleeper. I, I, as soon as I hit that pillow, I'm, I'm done. And sleep really helps um, with memory. It really helps with, you know, functioning, like brain functioning, all that kind of stuff. So I have lots of energy, but I also really make sure that I'm looking after myself and I'm getting the sleep that I need. 
so I can perform really well every single day. So how are you making sure that you get that good sleep? Is there anything in particular in terms of sleep hygiene or some habits that could be helpful for other people? I think um, phones really, really hurt sleep. I, I do have my phone. I just put it in flight mode and I'm, I'm pretty good at just getting off my phone. But I think if you spent a few hours on your phone before you went to sleep, your mind would really be on. It would be switched on and it would be hard for it to turn off. So, yeah, I tried to read a book or something like that and just like slow my mind down. I think because I, I do work at like such a high energy I'm like losing so much of my energy all the time. So the second that, you know, I'm in a car or if I'm in a plane or something, I can just turn my whole body off and just go dead asleep. It's so interesting to hear that, you know, your workday really is quite short considering everything that you're doing and how high energy you are. Mm. And how, I, I think people will be surprised to hear that the, the people that are quite energetic or, you know, quote unquote busy, there's actually often a lot of rest that needs to support that. Yeah, there, there is definitely so much rest. Yeah. Is there anything particular about your routine that you wanted to share? I think you would have so many different tools for people, questions people could ask. Um, really prioritizing like where you're putting your time really helps. And then with routines, like having things really consistent. So with my podcast, I knew it was really ambitious, but I was like, I need to have a podcast episode that comes out every Monday. And if I put that into my asana, it means it will happen. And it means no matter what, I have to make that happen. So I think like having those deadlines, like you don't always feel inspired. You don't always feel like you've got all the time in the world. But when you have that deadline, it means it takes away all the excuses and you have to make it happen. Even if I have to work from three o'clock to six o'clock and I really don't want to do it, but I'm, I'm going to do it because that's what my business calls for. Having deadlines and things like that, it also really helps you as a creative because you want restrictions. You don't want to have everything easy and everything laid out for you. Like you want to have as many restrictions as you can. So then you have less things to think about and you have to get more creative, I guess. Exactly. Limitations can be so helpful in removing the indecision that can come Absolutely. up. Absolutely. How is it for you jumping into podcasting? For me, it took a very long time. The procrastination <laughs> journey was quite something. Yeah. So for you, um, your podcast is not only helpful content wise, but beautifully produced. Oh, thank you. Any any kind of pointers there? It's, it's pretty interesting. Every year, I usually take two months off work. So I do that during the winter. And in that time, like I, I really allow myself to play with ideas and just think a little bit different. And I, I come back so energized. And I always say like, after two months off work, it, I usually make so much more money and so many better decisions. And I have so much more clarity because I get out of my business and I look look at it from an outsider's perspective of like, you know, how people act with it and react with it and stuff like that. So last winter, I actually have, I actually have an old car. It's, it's broken down at the moment. It's like a 1967 Valiant. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a road trip by myself up to Byron Bay for two weeks just to have some alone time and just to like think, just to be in my own space, I guess. And um, hmm. it was the first time I ever listened to podcasts. And I listened to a couple of podcasts on the way up. And I listened to a couple on the way down. And then I was thinking about how I always get asked to talk on people's podcasts. And I always say no, because I'm scared of it. I'm so terrified. I don't want to record and sound silly on a podcast. And then it's recorded and then it's, you know, it's out to the whole world and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, and me being insecure with, you know, not going to school and not being able to read and write properly. I also don't pronounce words that, you know, my... I guess I can't articulate some things that I'm trying to communicate and I'm really conscious of that. So, you know what? I thought, why am I so scared? Like, this is not something that should be holding me back, but it is holding me back because I'm not doing these interviews and not that I want to be on a podcast. I just, I don't want to be scared of something. So I, I guess like on the drive home, I was thinking about that. And then I was listening to this, uh, I was listening to a podcast and I thought, you know what? I'm going to start my own podcast when I get back and I'm going to do it weekly and I'm going to do it and it's going to be terrible and every episode is going to get a little bit better and it's going to get a little bit better and I'm going to do it until I'm comfortable talking on podcasts. So that's how and why my podcast came around. It was really a selfish thing. It was just me getting out of my comfort zone and really just saying like, this is a project for me to grow and I need to do this because I want to be able to speak to people you know, whenever and wherever, and I want to feel confident. Yeah. Well, you do that so well, Jai. 
Um, that's an incredible approach. I love that. Yeah. I'm wondering, because you sort of mentioned that every year you take those two months off, mm-hmm. you know, people could hear that and be like, well, that's easy for you if you've already got the money. Yep. Um, or the salary to support that. And, you know, you hear a lot about people talking about designing your life and, and you know, a lot of it, you know, does relate back to money in some ways um, and also relating back to the privilege of having the freedom and the, the luxury to define your own day. But I'd love to hear from you because you hadn't always had the money. So if d- someone does hear that and think, well, I want the things that you have, Jai, but I don't have the money yet, what would be your advice to them? I would say don't use the money as an excuse. Um, you know, like it, it's pretty interesting because I've I've had no money and then I have money and then I have no money and I've I've lost businesses over the last 10 years and, you know, things have gone up and down. But I think don't concentrate on what you don't have. Only concentrate on what you do have. And if you can have yourself two months off work, even if you don't have two months off work, like maybe just have two weeks off work. Like, I mean, that's good as well. I didn't just have two months off work my whole life. I definitely didn't do that. I worked, you know, for 10 years with not one day off. Um, but when you're thinking about designing your own life, when you're thinking about how you want your life to be, like I want you to really think about how would it feel in five years' time if you could have two months off because that's what you're working towards. You don't want to feel right now but, you know, what you don't have and what your limitations are. Like if you have those in your mind, you're already – going to stop yourself from the success because you're concentrating your energy on the wrong things. Like I want you to concentrate your energy on like, how would it actually feel if you could do that? Because you know what? You can do that. It's just that it hasn't happened yet. And as long as you're resilient and you're consistent and you keep showing up and you keep showing up with your work and the work that you do, you're going to get there. It's it's maybe not this year, maybe not next year, maybe in five years, maybe, maybe in 10 years. I don't know. We all have a different timeline, but as long as we keep pushing, like you will get there, but you do have to concentrate on the right things. And the right things is like, maybe, maybe you don't have that much money right now, but you, but you have more time. Like you probably have more time than I do. You probably have, you know, other resources that other people don't have. Um, if you're anything like me and you live in Australia, like, oh my God, like how, how privileged are we? Like, this is, it, I'm, I'm, it's not lost on me. I, I am literally the definition of the privileged person. I am like a middle-aged white person living in a country that um, I, ge- I guess it's just like there's so many opportunities. And for me, like, you know, my mom, she never had the opportunities I have. She didn't have the job. She had a husband that would hit her all the time, like so much domestic violence and so much restriction. She was homeless and she moved into the housing commission and she's relied on the government and all that kind of stuff. But She's also the most powerful woman I've ever met. And when I see that she can do it and, you know, then I look at myself and go, oh, my God, look at the privilege that I have. Like, I have to make this work because I have to inspire the people around us. I feel like if I'm not absolutely going out there every day and, like, getting these opportunities, I feel like I'm doing an injustice to the people that don't have the opportunities. You know, even even if I had a, a hard upbringing, it's still not as hard as so many people imagine if I didn't take these this time to absolutely change the life of the people around me and to to make the most of these opportunities because not everyone has the privilege to even have the opportunities that I have in my life and I have to I do have to acknowledge it and I have to make sure that I don't waste this privilege because it's not something I chose it's something you know that I was I'm obviously born in and it's something that I have to I have to make sure it does good I guess yeah I don't know <laughs> Well, it sounds like you, you definitely do know because you've inspected it. And as you've put so beautifully and articulately, the best thing that you can do with your privilege is use it. Otherwise, it is a disservice. So thank you. That was so well put. Do you have any final sort of thoughts on, I guess, the the cycle that we're in, the ebb and flow? With how we are right now in the business landscape, and I know a lot of uh, creative entrepreneurs are listening to this podcast right now, and not everybody has a business degree or has... Uh, the knowledge of business, but just understand this, like everything goes in a cycle and things that go up and things that go down. And when we're down, like the things that flourish and the things that will flourish will be the things in the creative arts. You know, it will be music that brings people together. It will be the art that brings people together. And you see this all the time. You've seen this in Australian bushfires, like the people that stand up and that help the whole community. It's not the big businesses. It's, it's the small creatives that make the biggest impact. So you just know that like, 
you know, a cycle is, is a normal, natural thing and it just moves things around and it's not all bad. It's also a good part of a cycle and, you know, it will help in so many different ways. Indirectly, even if you don't know it yet, it will help in like housing affordability. It will help in opportunities that you don't even know that's going to open up and it's going to come your way right now. So even if it's feeling like dire straits and everything you work for is all going out the window and stuff, like now's the time to really hone in on your art and your creative aspect and create something that means something to the world, like create that impact. You don't need money. You don't need anything else to do that. Like you just need, you just need you. That's it. I hope you were able to be as inspired as I was by Jai and really note how crucial it is to find your own way. I'm keen to hear about what that looks like for you and to invite you onto this podcast as well. As I mentioned, in a special edition of Routines and Ruts, I'll be sharing what works for you and what doesn't. To take part, you can find a link to the open call survey in the show notes and leave both written and audio recorded messages that will be played during the episode. You can also visit extraordinaryroutines.com slash survey to find a direct link. From whatever lessons you have to impart, big or small, I'll not only create a special episode of this podcast, but also downloadable guides and various resources to attempt to both illuminate how it feels to navigate creativity in uncertain times, but also share gentle suggestions. We can all learn from each other about how our days are changing, where we might be stuck, and also remember that we're all figuring it out for the very first time. In the words of Eleanor Roosevelt, most of the work that's done in the world gets done by people who aren't feeling all that well at the time they did it. So thank you to each of you doing the work in the world, even if you don't feel all that well right now. We're seeing you. Thank you. If this episode sparked ideas or maybe provided comfort, I would love it if you took a moment to leave a review on iTunes. I'll pop a handy link in the bottom of the show notes so that you can find that easily from any platform that you're listening from. Your review will help me to continue to share these conversations and also might help someone new discover the podcast and get through a creative rut. You can also share that you're listening by taking a screenshot and tagging extraordinary underscore routines on Instagram. I'm Madeline Dorr, and if you'd like to stay in the loop with my passion projects and writing, I'd suggest that you sign up to my newsletter. Much like this podcast, it's full of ideas on navigating the ups and downs of creative life. You can sign up at extraordinaryroutines.com, where you can also peruse an archive of written interviews, musings, and life experiments from the last five years. Thanks again for listening to Routines and Ruts, and remember to learn from the pitfalls and stay curious and open to the mysterious, mundane, extraordinary creative process. Thank you.